Hello, 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 and welcome to the Film Pigs Podcast number five. I'm your host this episode, Stephen Skelton. I'm Todd Anderson. And I'm Stephen Falk. <laughs> <laughs> and here on the Film Pigs Podcast, we discuss movies and movie news all centered around a theme each episode. But before we get to the theme, first we'll start as we always start with movie news. Yeah. Yeah. A real news show that calls all its news from news that's already been printed elsewhere. And then you hear about it four days later. (laughs) If you're lucky, that's not (laughs) it. All right, movie news. Todd, what do you have for us? Uh, I do have a a, a bit of movie news. Before I I, I say my movie news, though, I just a quick uh, apology. Uh, Last episode, I referred to the Shack. Genie movie is Shazam, and that was incorrect. It is called Kazam. I deeply, deeply apologize. <laughs> I feel like a hack, a you've, worthless You've ruined loser. our credibility. Yeah, and uh, to all one of you who clearly <laughs> gave a shit about it, I apologize. I feel terrible I didn't even catch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hacks we are. Yeah, we were having a good time. In my defense, I was on medication yeah. last time. Oh, yeah. that's okay. Anyway, uh, my uh, bit of movie news is uh, on April 1st, uh, 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 Criterion announced that they would be releasing a uh, Criterion Blu-ray treatment of the, movie, of the movie Chud. That's, uh, that's Zoe drinking water, as she tends to do every time we do this fucking podcast. It, it, well, she's thirsty. It's gotten warm here in Los Angeles. Uh, anyway, uh, as she finishes up her beverage, I'll just continue with the news story. It's okay, I can, I can filter this out. So, <laughs> so it turns out that Criterion was joking, and it was an April Fool's joke on Criterion's, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, Criterion was making an April Fool's joke, and I, I, it makes me really sad because when I read it, I was fucking so excited <laughs> And elated that my favorite B-movie of all time was going to get a Criterion treatment. And I totally believed it because Criterion did do fucking Armageddon. So why can't they do Chud as well? Uh, but it was an April Fool's joke. So I'm, I'm heartbroken. Uh, Criterion, fuck you very much for that April Fool's joke. Granted, I should have known because I was just so elated and excited as I was looking at the special features that they had listed on their website. And I should have realized when one of them was a downloadable MP3 of the original radio play <laughs> featuring Eric Bogosian. Uh, at that point, I should have known. But seriously, I was like, I was on. You became like, actually excited to hear that. Yeah, I was like, I didn't know. In other words, the only April Fool's jokes that really work are are ones that people really want and on the people who really want them. Right, exactly. Um, that's funny. I Do you have any word if the uh, Criterion is saying they're doing uh, Lena Dunham's Mumblecore Tiny Furniture? Is that also? <laughs> I read that today. I checked the calendar. It's the 5th or the 4th. And so... They're really terrible. doing that? They're doing I, that? I don't know. Over Chad? Uh, no, that, we, we live April in a topsy turvy crisis. Sadly, world. I'm sure that's not an it's, April Fool's. Steve, the well, piece of news is uh, is the rumor that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure Part Three right? is yeah. in the making. Get the fuck out! Yeah, twenty five years Keanu later. With Keanu and Alec. Yeah, 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 yeah. That wow. uh, Keanu basically said in an interview recently that the writers are a few weeks away from delivering a script, and and uh, Alex Winter's been talking about it for a while because you know honestly, what else is he going to be talking about? 
um, what the re-release of Freaks was that his movie? Um, Freakazoid. Yeah, Freak. Yeah, oh. something like that. Uh, I like that guy. Yeah, no, no, no. They're they're both they're both great. But his, he had uh, slightly different. His his, <laughs> his MTV sketch show back in the day was a fucking staple around my dorm room. Do you remember that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was great. I wonder who's gonna come in here. Anyone could come in here tonight. Winona Ryder, <laughs> Carol Channing. You remember that? <laughs> it was this great sketch of him just eating beef jerky <laughs> and sitting behind the counter. It was just the top. It was the uh, security cam from the Seven yeah. Eleven. And then at the end, uh, Carol Channing actually does walk in. <laughs> She's going, "Yeah, I can die, girl's best friend." It's awesome. She's like, "Wow, Carol Channing." Uh, anyway, so I'm excited about that. Uh, you know, Beavis and Butthead's coming back, and it seems that uh, it's it's time for the idiots of the 80s. To, yeah, to uh, revisit. Beavis the... and Butthead are coming back? Yeah, yeah. They're doing a whole new cycle. Mike wow. Jack. Is it a, uh, another movie or is it another Ooh. show? A new show. show. Wow. That's Videos, nice. and videos and sketches. Holy nice. smokes. Oh, I'm very Actually excited looking, about that. Actually, kind of looking forward to that. What's your news? I, you know, I had some news to choose from. Um, I, I found the, uh, the uh, Will Smith ghostwriter story kind of interesting uh, where he has his personal writer that none of the other writers on his movies ever know about. What is that? That uh, oh yes uh, yes yes yes. I thought for a minute you meant that Ghost Will Rider. Smith was taking over Nick Cage's. No uh, no no not role. Ghost Rider Ghost, Ghost, Ghost Rider Ghost Rider. But so yeah so he's the you know he's the guy that uh uh <laughs> asks for credit on movies and never gets it. He never gets credit, but apparently yeah. he's been doing rewrites for Will Smith since forever uh, since, since Fresh, Fresh Friends of Bel Air. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Does he also do uh, Natalie Portman's ballet sequences in Black Swan? You know, it's funny. I met a guy who um, recently in a, in a Writers Guild thing that uh, just worked on a project for Will Smith and Jada Pickett Smith. And, uh, and he said it was a fucking disaster. Yeah. He'd have to go up to their house at like 3 in the morning. They'd just call him, wake him up. They'd send a car. And he'd drive up to their mansion. There'd be like 20 people. And the, even the, like the driver who, who drove him up there would then be sitting there giving him notes on the script. Oh my god! Yeah, they're they're crazy. Well, that's what's happening in like things. a Men in Black Men in Black Three now is they actually started shooting the movie with the first act with only, only the first act of the script because Will Smith didn't like the rest of the script, so they sh- they shot Act One, shut down production so they could finish the script, and now have gone back to reshoot the rest of the movie. And that's where his personal writer is. Uh, oh well, I'm sure it'll be really good. Then. Yeah, no, sure it seems solid. So that uh, that's how I got your movie news. Yeah, movie news. Really great stuff. Movie news. Um, so let's moving on to our, our uh, theme of this episode. This episode's theme is uh, remakes, reboots, and reimaginings. And you know, it's I have kind of a rant, but it's more just kind of uh, I, I have some questions. We love questions. that. I uh, think uh, would would, would have some. Uh, we can have some good discussion about because I mean the remake is nothing new. I mean it's been around forever. Yeah. Um, I mean you know Demille and Hitchcock remade their own movies right. multiple times, so it's it's something that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it seems in the last decade there's been a flood of remakes or recycling of franchises or movies that have done well in the past. And in some cases where it made sense, the Star Trek reboot. Right. Um, well, the invention of the term reboot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you know, where, where it reinvigorates a franchise or where it kind of has just gone off the rails and doesn't really make any sense anymore. Like Superman Returns, mm. which was just this weird... 
Donner homage is the best way I can describe it. Um, the immediate rebooting of Spider-Man after arguably a very <laughs> successful franchise. So weird. Um, and uh, the, the, the live-action whitewashed Akira remake that is underway right now. Really? Which is, yeah, which sounds like such an incredible misfire. And then, and then especially the, the current retalk of, the current talk of already rebooting Batman before Nolan's third movie is even out. Jesus. Um, that, but that's, that, I mean, that seems to be throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Mm. If, I mean, I don't know what else that would be. But in, in the case, in the case of the Batman thing, it's a, the, Warner Brothers is talking about doing a Justice League movie but with a different version of Superman and Batman. A different version of the Nolan Batman and the the un, the unreleased Zack Snyder Superman. Are they just trying to... With different actors. Are they trying to lighten it up then? I don't know. Because, I, I mean, I guess that would make sense. I mean, if you... If you want to do a Justice League movie, you can't go with Nolan's... I mean, if you want to do Justice League, like, the way it's been done in Cartoon Land... Yeah. You know, you can't really use Nolan's Batman because it's too dark. But, so, you know, so we have that kind of, like, rampant rebooting and, and, and remaking um, just all over the place. And then there's the other thing that Hollywood likes to do, which is to remake foreign films that are almost exactly like the original foreign Dinner films. Dinner for schmucks. Yeah, just just not even that. Just so there's no, just so there's no, people don't have to read subtitles. But it's like, you know, like, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, La Femme Nikita, like, right. right one in. Um, and some of those oh, are done point, well. Point of No Return? Or, yeah. That was wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and, and then, and then uh, things get worse in a third level when Hollywood commissions a reimagining of a concept, mm-hmm. um, which is the, which is the newest version of the remake and the reboot. And that usually leads to some kind of abandonment of what made the property work originally. Like Tron? What, what would you consider Tron? Tron is actually a sequel. Oh, okay. I would actually consider Tron a sequel. Okay, okay. Um, but, uh, so, uh, kind of what my, you know, what my two things is jumping my head around these things are, when does it make sense to do a remake, a reboot, or a, re- or a reimagining? Mm-hmm. And two, when is it pointless to do so, and, and why does Hollywood seem to be doing so much of that instead of number one? I mean, I think, I think, uh... The answer to all of it is money. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so we have to approach it from two different levels. The The question, does when does it make sense? When they can wring money out of it. When right. people will go. That That's the basic answer. Uh, well, yeah, yeah that would be the answer to everything. Yeah, that's yeah. a simple answer. Right, but, yeah. but, but yeah. from an artistic point of view, when does it when does it make sense? Yeah. Is when there's really something new to say. Uh, I think a, a lot of time has to have passed. Otherwise, it's just money grab. Right. Let, let me ask you this. Actually, not artistically, but but money wise, mm-hmm. um, why does it make more sense money wise to re reboot or, or yeah, I guess reboot is really w- what we're talking about here. Uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street franchise or a Friday the Thirteenth franchise or a Hellraiser franchise versus just doing a sequel. I mean, the the last Friday the Thirteenth movie was a quote unquote reboot. Well, I didn't you know dislike it as a slasher film. I didn't understand why they didn't just call it Friday the Thirteenth Part Twelve uh, or Eleven or whatever. Because then they you know eventually or even just, just give it a 13, they, mean, they don't even have know? to put like a number on it. They can say Friday the Thirteenth. But the answer again and is here's our subtitle. Yeah, the answer again is very simple. It's marketing. It's about money. It's yeah. about when when a French when a, a sequel series seems to have run out of steam mm-hmm. that's when it's time for a reboot when when the the last sequel made a lot of money like the fast and furious um five or whatever it's called now 
then you just make another. You know what I mean? It has. To, I think it has to do, and that has to do with time passing. It has to do with those stars having fallen out of favor, um, and uh, and something new to bring to the franchise that is based on time, that is based on it being a new kind of era. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so I think they're that's... introducing it not to its legions of fans, but to people who aren't necessarily. Those yeah, or, or an- another reason is when the actor gets um, disinterested or too old to do it. Mm-hmm. Which in the case of Spider-Man, because certainly not a lot of time has has gone on in that. People, a lot of people went to see three. I don't know the exact box office, but it wasn't a yeah. big drop. But it was, from it, one yeah, or two. it wasn't a it wasn't a bomb of a movie. It was just a. But Tobey Maguire didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Sam Raimi didn't want to do it anymore. And so when you have those two elements not wanting to do it anymore, yeah, you got to reboot it. Yeah, that makes a little bit more sense to me. I mean, uh, you know, I'm more specifically talking about the slasher genre. I mean, it's, I honestly don't understand that. I mean, it certainly, I, I mean, and, and the new Nightmare on Elm Street bombed, and it bombed as a reboot. And I think the reason why, I, I, I think it's because, and England would have done it. You know, he would, he oh, would have he done it. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> and, and, and what's his face is a great actor, but he, and it wasn't his fault that it, it was a bad movie and he didn't necessarily turn into bad performance, but he wasn't written well and his makeup was bad and all that stuff. So I, I don't know. It's from, in that case, the, all those marketing points failed them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that's the case with the Friday the 13th reboot and it, you know, ultimately, that's what I'm saying is you you make that movie a sequel or a reboot, it doesn't really matter. But Nightmare on Elm Street, they they actually rebooted it and, and fucked it up, and so it it blew up in their face. Yeah, I think that just happens has to do with the vagaries of making art. You know, of of the actor, the director, the mood, the cast, the script just didn't happen to work for that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, or yeah. you know, or or the populace wasn't hungry for a reboot slash reimagining, um, and that that's just, but that's unpredictable. You I know think, what I mean? Yeah. And especially, I mean, in the case of the, of the nightmare, you know, reboot. Uh, I mean, the main problem with that script was it was clear they were trying to go for some more ambiguity in terms of whether Freddy Krueger was really responsible. Mm-hmm. Or whether he was like, you know, the crowd justice killed the wrong guy and they didn't reveal. And at the end, he is just evil. And so it kind of, that kind of flat, right. instead of, instead of just from the, the beginning, I mean, that the whole, that whole concept rests on a monster that attacks you in your dreams. So right. when you say, Hey, this might, the guy might not be a monster. It kind of makes everything flat. Also, right. it, it, frankly, it's a lot easier to tell an origin story than to find a new way to tell mm-hmm. the that, same that, story. That's true. And yeah. and I think, so then you have a built-in kind of template for the movie as opposed to just throwing it out to three different screenwriters and having them come up with yet another twist. Jason in, yeah. fuck it, in space. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, which, hey, hey, which hey. was awesome. That so, was awesome. Hey, hey, hey. Don't so, he just space. wants his machete back. So there is, there is some artistic... Um, uh, thought that goes into it. There's some that 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 the artistic side actually does matter a little bit, you know. But um, but it, I think it's a combination of timing, audience appetite, or the perception of audience appetite, and whether there are more stories to tell or not. Then you just reboot it and start over, like in case of Karate Kid. Right. What's the name of the Freddy Krueger guy? The new Freddy Krueger, Haley Joel J- Osmond. Yes, Marie? Haley Joel Osmond. <laughs> Haley Joel Osmond. 
Uh, I can see Jackie Ted people. Earl Jackie, Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah. I mean, that's like, again, he's <laughs> Although a great Although Haley Joel Osment as Freddy Krueger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My great. glove weighs seven pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Teen Krueger. But, you Teen know, I, we're, we're, we're obviously in... We're, the, main, the thing about movies right now is with, with, uh, with corporate um, integration and ver- vertical integration right, right. and corporate synergy and, and, and all that... It becomes harder and harder to get an original concept made. I mean, that's that's been happening for for years now, and so it all becomes about mental real estate. Mental real estate being something, whether it's an, a, a a character or an actual movie they can redo, or a story like Little Red Riding Hood, like yeah. they're doing all the grim fairy tales yeah. now. Something that exists in the public uh, mind that has mental real estate already. Yeah. That already you hear it and you go and you, and your brain knows something about it. Becomes harder and harder to and so basically, if you look at all the major studios releases over the last five years and into the foreseeable future, almost all of the tentpole projects have some mental real estate. They're not original stories. Right. I, I'm actually working yeah. on a spec screenplay myself right now based on the song Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. It's a hard, It's going to be a hard R-rated horror film. <laughs> <laughs> About a killer star. <laughs> a killer star. that it, it rapes and kills. I mean, really, you know, it, it's ridiculous. It, it really, but that's, you, you, you joke, but they made a movie about the Tooth Fairy. That's true. They decide to yeah. go the family uh, family comedy genre. And they actually did a horror movie, too. Darkness yeah, yeah, Falls yeah, yeah. was yeah. the Tooth Fairy yeah. horror movie, yeah. But, um, you know, anything that occupies any mental real estate, they will go for. You know, there, there, was, there, were, there, were, there was actually a deal made for Avril Lavigne's uh, Skater Boy oh, song. To be made into a movie, because it it hit some you know tween consciousness eight years ago or whatever, I mean, they're they're desperate. Anything, anything that, I mean that's why if you if you're a screenwriter, and you walk into a studio with an original concept, it's really hard to sell as a pitch. If you walk in with the fl- with the flint like some article from some magazine with a hundred people who have read it. You know, or some stack of flyers. Honestly, somewhere. honestly, there was a. I could probably point to. I would say twenty to thirty million dollars worth of deals that were done about six years ago, for comic books that were only published online and only published after the pitch was sold. Yeah. But they went in and said, "This is based on a on an online comic yeah. graphic novel that we have coming out." And that instantly gets you in the room. Yeah. So they were bullshitting to a certain well, but, that's, but that's also why it's like that's why they're you know they're rebooting Fantastic Four again, is because that's a known property. And even though the, are they really yeah even though the Jesus movies um, were were messes giant failures. Um, they're well, still, the first they're one did well at the box office, didn't it? I mean, they did. A I sequel. guess it did okay for a sequel, but, uh, but it wasn't well received critically. Yeah. but it was a hit. But but it didn't it didn't have legs. So they're they but they're they're going back. They're doing that again immediately. Anyway, they're they're like any trend. They're going to be here to stay until they stop yeah. making money, and then right. we'll, you know until some big original concept hits, and uh, we'll start seeing the trend go back in that direction. Wow. I'm gonna pitch. Uh, have you guys been to Steve Falk's house? I want to do a horror movie based on his bank of rusty lockers. <laughs> the lockers. It's just called lockers. There's 24 of them. So you can make 24 movies. <laughs> lockers 2. Lockers 3. Rusty, rusty lockers 
Locker number one, <laughs> bottom left. Lock, lockers five. It's a locker. Yeah, that's a twist. Is the series you don't know which locker it's going to be next. It could be <laughs> locker number fourteen. I love it. We don't whatever you want to do. I love it. I'm greenlighting this picture. All right. <laughs> All right. That's the theme. I think that is it. Let's uh, move on to movie jail. Uh oh. This is movie jail. Uh, where we uh, put film professionals on trial uh, for crimes against cinema. If they're found guilty, they are incarcerated in the Robert De Niro Maximum Security Federal Penitentiary. De Niro! This week, Stephen Vault presents his case. Ah, so, uh, yes, um, uh, thank you, Your Honor. I will be presenting <laughs> the case. I'm going to allow this. Uh, oh, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, Should I put that into the record? Yes, please. Uh, uh, here I am to present um, the defendant. Um, a man born in 1957. Uh, he goes by the name of Cameron Crowe. Oh, hey, Cameron. Cameron Crowe is a uh, interesting case. Uh, Cameron, uh, you know, was obviously a, a Rolling Stone journalist uh, as a teen, very, very, uh, almost famously, <laughs> as the story goes. And uh, he wrote a book uh, based on uh, experiences in high school. Um, that uh, high school r- reporting he did about you know he went into like undercover in high schools. It became Fast Times at Ridgemont High, a book, which he then adapted, and then it was made a movie, I think, by Amy Heckerling, if I yeah, remember Yeah, that's correctly. right. Yeah. Became a really good, seminal, early 80s uh, um, movie. Kind of kicked off the, um, arguably, the uh, early 80s uh, sex uh, romp genre. Um, it was it certainly had a lot more, more depth, but, you know, there were titties and fucking and, and all, yeah. all that sort of thing. And then he went on to direct his own movie, uh, which was Say Anything. Um, starring John Cusack, uh-huh. who had already um, be- become sort of a staple of, of the um, 80s um, uh, and the romantic comedy. And uh, and Say Anything was a, a, a giant hit, even a bigger hit, though, on video and sort of became a cult classic, if you will. Um, and it, it, it starts sort of an interesting trend numerically when, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, Say Anything has 100% fresh. Wow, really? 100%? Wow, holy shit balls. So, uh, you know, and, and, and I, you know, all of these are arguable. I think it's a, it's a good movie. It's not a great movie, but it certainly has. It's okay. And yeah. it, it, it didn't, it was him finding his tone. It sort of, it had a lot of the, 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 the quirky, quirkiness. It had a lot of kind of big themes. It wasn't just a comedy. It had sort of interesting things to say about like fathers and parental relationships and, you know, and youth trying to find themselves, and of course, a, another giant theme, love, that runs through his best movies, I think. He followed that up with Singles, which was mm-hmm. 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, 80%. And, and... Oh, that's not bad. That's no. And, and, eight, and Singles really... All of his best movies are very sort of personal, have a personal feel to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And Singles really captured, and you know, they all are steeped, obviously, in music, because that's a, that's, you know, he married a musician, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. and... And that's a big sort of uh, interest of his, and and that really captured the the grunge scene. It was steeped in the grunge scene in the the nineties grunge scene in Seattle. It was it was set there, and it was a young ensemble movie, and it was really his American graffiti. It was American yeah. graffiti for the grunge era. Um, you know, it has some flaws, but it's a it's a really funny, uh, vibrant movie that started to to then have some of his stylistic components, like. Uh, cutaways to various people like uh when when um what's his name uh shit i can't remember the guy uh 
uh, he's fucking, um, and he, he's trying not to come, and he's like, and he, he, he imagines uh, uh, Xavier from the uh, Seattle Supersonics, oh, yeah. his favorite uh, basketball player, going, he's doing a press conference, and by the way, don't come! And um, and he uses that sort of uh, cutaways later, and like Jerry Maguire and stuff. Um, uh, and a, a lot of sort of whimsical moments, a lot of uh, funny characters, but really kind of the, the, the romant, big romantic ensemble steeped in music. Um and it was really, really funny. And uh, then he followed that up with Jerry Maguire, which was a runaway hit. He, you know, everyone wanted to work with him yeah. after or say anything. And, and singles, Tom Cruise came on board, obviously, and he, and he worked with them on that. And that has 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, uh, <laughs> and Jerry Maguire is a really bad love story. But if you excise that, that the, the love story, which I think kind of fails, it just on a script level, it's not developed properly. I think it has a lot of romantic moments. It, he knows how to do romance, like, you know, the, the, the single mother and the boss who's really kind of searching for meaning. And, uh, you know, it has the, that great song by Bruce Springsteen. And it mm-hmm. really, it feels romantic. It captured romance as a really kind of, kind of chilling first kiss slash sex scene in it. But, um, but really what that, that was a, a movie about ideas. It started with this guy, this sort of alpha male Waking up one morning, one one night, not being able to sleep on uh, while he's on a, a a conference, and having a big idea, having a big idea, and writing it down in manifesto, and 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 ill advisedly going to Kinko's and then distributing <laughs> it to everyone uh, in his uh, sports agency, and then getting fired because of it, because of ideals. Mm. And then he goes on to try to have these ideals, try to live by these ideals, while trying to retain some sort of sports um, agency franchise on his own and go it on his own. And the only guy who will go with him is, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. It has, you know, I think it's really funny. It's very observant. Um, And at this point, he'd really developed a tone. He's good with actors. He's so much... This movie, to me, and sort of singles, feels almost like a hipper James L. Brooks, sort of more contemporary. He sort of took took where broadcast news sort of left off. And, um, and he was in that vein of American filmmakers. Everyone wanted to work with him after that. I mean, um, and he really kind of incorporated big contemporary themes. Um, he had something to say and felt very of the moment. So then he had the, the license and the goodwill from all the Oscar nominations and all the box office to make his most personal movie almost famous which uh, I was shocked to find is 88% on the Rotten Tomato scale. I actually found it sort of a mess. Mm. But an admirable mess, I think. It went back to his origins as a um, music reporter for Sports uh, for Rolling Stone and really told that story. Um, he had Patrick Fugit as basically him. Um, and it was about the music scene in the 70s and, you know, and uh, of course about love. And, and it, had a, it had big themes and a personal statement and had some really good performances. Francis McDormand's really good. Billy Crudup's mm-hmm. really good. I think uh, Patrick Fugit's really good. Uh, for some reason... Um, What's her name? Goldie Hawn's daughter got a nomination for it. Oh, yeah, she did, didn't she? Yeah, which Kate, Kate Hudson, Hudson, which I Hudson. think is sort of baffling. But, you know, it captures a mood again and a time. It's the ultimate in incorporating music. That music budget must have been fucking millions and millions of dollars. Um, but And, you know, and, and it was apparently cut to shed, and he, he released a, 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 you know, a director's cut recently. But it's again, it's a movie with big ideas and big themes and a lot of characters and has something to say and captures a mood and is of a time. Then he decided to remake a Spanish movie. 
I think uh, this is where it turns. Yeah. And, Finally, uh, we're getting to why we, you want to throw him in the clank. <laughs> yes. And so everything was good. He was almost yeah, famous. Like, you know, he went for it. Like, I'm not putting anyone in jail for that. But then he made Vanilla Sky. <laughs> Tom Cruise wanted to work with him again. I don't know if this is... He really had the Jones to remake this movie. Or Tom Cruise did. I'm not sure what happened. Um... But he made Vanilla Sky. Um, yes, music was incorporated. He had a really kind of nice scene where, where he cleared out the streets of Times Square and radio Radiohead's playing while he's running through the streets. Um, but it was really a jumble of psychobabble and um, and what are dreams, what are reality. Jumble's the kindest, kindest word you can use. You know, and sort of the, the father-son stuff. You know, he's a scion of a big, uh, big uh, newspaper man, I think, or industrialist. Um, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson was doing that stuff better. Um, or the, you know, what's dreams, what's reality. Michelle Gondry did that yeah. much more, in a much more limber and funny and imaginative way in Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And this movie just sort of sat there. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of dead on arrival. Um, and then he decided to go back to doing the personal and made Elizabeth Town. Which, oh, uh, which if he was, you know, if he was sort of like in the drunk tank of the jail... At that point, I would throw him in maximum security. <laughs> because it really showed to me a director, writer-director going back to his roots, you know, going back to telling a personal story and finding he had lost his way. And it's, it, you know, it's very common. I, artists do that all the time. But Elizabeth Town, which uh, Vanilla Sky had 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Elizabeth Town has 28 Oh, jeez. Um, uh, you know, he treads, treads on similar themes of failure and, and big corporations and money and love and music. But the performances he ringed out of Orlando Bloom and, and Kirsten Dunst and Susan Sarandon are fucking god-awful. Um, it's an absolute mess. Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, she gives this big rambling funeral speech and I think she tap dances and then Freebird plays <laughs> and then the sprinklers go off and then he decides to go on a road trip. Uh, with the stewardess he's met, and uh, there's like a CD and a scavenger hunt. It's really a fucking mess, and it, it and it shows that Cameron Crowe at that point, much like Orlando Bloom in the movie, and much like the audience having to sit through that fucking thing, were completely lost at that point. Um, he then spent the next that was back in 2005. He made two documentaries. I don't think they've come out yet. Music documentaries, an Elton John uh, music documentary called The Union. And a Pearl Jam documentary on them at, at 20 years. Um, and now he's doing a movie called We Bought a Zoo. Which is based on a um, sort of Marley and Me type book. About a family and the wife has brain cancer. And they leave their life. Um, up their life and go and uh, restore a, a rural zoo in England. Matt Damon's in it. Scarlett Johansson. Pass. Ella Fanning. And uh, <laughs> yeah. he's rewriting. He's not only a book, book adaptation, but he's rewriting uh, someone else's script. Um, so anyway, the, the, I, I will lay out this case. I, I actually like Cameron Crowe, much like James L. Brooks. I admire him. Um, I think he has a lot to say and a lot of talent as a screenwriter. But he's clearly lost his way. And I think he needs to go and sit in solitary for a while and think about what he's done. So, do you, you think, so what about solitary? You think, you think he, knows to, he needs to go to jail or, or, jail, like, a rehab, jail. or like a rehab? I, I I think he has to go to jail for a while. <laughs> okay, no, that's like just, hardcore just, jail or like drunk tank with Downey Jr. I don't know. Then they might do a movie together. I think in jail he'll have enough time to really rediscover what he's about and what he has to say. 
and a, a more pure, clean way to say so it. So you want to give him a couple years hard time. To emerge with a good time. script to shoot. Hard time. And then give him like $20 million and let him shoot it. All right. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I mean, you, uh, uh, your case is very passionate. Uh, my problem being is I, I don't, I, I didn't see any of the bad ones. I saw part of Vanilla Sky and shut it off. Uh, but all those other movies that are, you know, critically acclaimed, I'm completely indifferent towards having seen them all. I, I even say anything. It's like they didn't, none of his movies ever spoke to me, but I, I never, I don't, you know, consider him a bad artist at all. It's just not, not for me. His voice is not for me. But if you want to throw him in jail, I mean, you make a good case. So I, I you know, I say uh, give him a couple years. <laughs> well, I think in this trial, you have to divorce yourself from what is your passion as a viewer. I know. I'm, I'm speaking as a juror right now. And a juror would say, well, you know, Cameron Crowe seems like an okay guy. It's sort of a sad story. But, yeah, he fucked up. He broke the movie law. So I guess we got to put yeah, him in the about, is, It's are regretful. You a good guy? It's regretful. But this isn't about, are, do your movies have... No. It's, are they humble? I mean, yeah. do, do, do you understand the instructions from the court? Yeah, I understand <laughs> it. But like like a juror who's brought... Like, you know, this happens, you know, in court. The juror... Not personal to you. I realize that. <laughs> yeah, throw him in the clamp. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, let's give him some time. Because I think he needs a, a recharge. Cameron Crowe, we're sorry to say you've been remanded to the Robert De Niro <laughs> Federal Penitentiary for Crimes Against Cinema. Think about what you've done. <laughs> sorry, pal. <laughs> All right, well, that was. Uh... I think it's okay to be sad about putting someone in prison. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I don't, I, don't, I don't think you need to be sad about some, putting huge, someone in movie prison. It's a huge deal. That's right. It's time for the Nick Cage Memorial Bizarre Line Reading. Each episode, we bring a bizarre line reading to add to the canon of what the fuck. Uh, so this week, uh, TV's Todd Robert Anderson presents. Uh, your line yeah, I've, I've again. Uh, I'm, I'm showing my uh, colors as a huge John Carpenter fan. I've, I've gone back to the John Carpenter, and uh, this is a line reading uh, from the thing from. Oh shit! I'm blanking on his name. The a great character actor who was the president. One of those damn Harrison Ford movies. Uh, anyway, just listen to the damn line. It's awesome. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. But when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! Thank you! <laughs> that is, seriously, not only is it a great bizarre line reading, it's simply one of my favorite line readings in horror movie history. It's just great. And it's a great moment. Do you, do you remember the moment from the movie? No. He, I do, yeah, he's yeah. the last guy on the cast. Kurt Russell basically ties up the entire cast and tests their blood for being infected oh, by right, the right, alien. Right. And he's the last guy, and he's been through so much shit on the couch because people have turned into the thing and set on fire, and he's still tied to the couch. And then and he, the whole time he's going, I am not the fucking thing. I am not the fucking thing. Just test me next. Test me next. And Kurt Russell's, no, fuck you, you're going last because you're an asshole. 
And then uh, that is honestly one I think Nick Cage could get very much behind that rating. Oh, he would have yeah. done it exactly the same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he really would have. Absolutely. Maybe without like that guy has like this kind of faux, uh, you know, British thing. Yeah. Not really British, yeah, but you know, he's like pronouncing a, like, a more, like standard uh, English. I guess you'd call yeah. it. Uh, he's pronouncing things just right. I don't know if Nick Cage would have done that, but definitely the timing and the yeah. screaming at the end. And the, yeah, the, just the build up to the explosion. Yeah, it's let's hear it one more time. Oh. <laughs> I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but when you find the time. I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! And we're nice. That's good. Straight in. Oh, there we go. That's right, everybody. It's Tom Slingdog's DVD Corner with Tom Slingdog. I'm Tom Slingdog. Today's DVD Corner feature is called Bitch Slap. Now, this is straight to DVD. Yes, it's straight to DVD. Um, now, Bitch Slap, uh, I know, you know, people are going to want to correct me on this. Yes, it had a brief theatrical release, but it was one of those multi-platform releases like Super and Rubber that came out this past week, uh, where it went to video on demand as it was released on like three screens in Los Angeles. So technically, it is a straight-to-video movie. Now, Bitch Slap, <laughs> uh, I, I watched it mostly so I could say, hey guys, I watched a movie called Bitch Slap. Um, it's, uh, supposed to be a, a homage slash spoof of, um, exploitation films. Um, the entire thing, uh, well, not the entire thing, but most of it takes place by an old trailer in the desert. It's sort of like that scene in, uh, Kill Bill 2 with Daryl Hannah and, oh, yeah. and Uma Thurman where they fight in the trailer. Yeah. It's basically that scene stretched to an hour Hudson. and 45 minutes. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, and occasionally the movie has these flashbacks to these poorly rendered CGI environments where the bitches in question do things. Slapping? Um, there's a lot of bitch slapping in it. They're all... Uh, they're, they're, the three leads are wearing very tight clothes. They obviously spend a lot of time at the gym. Uh, not a lot of time soul-searching, I don't think, but a lot of time at the gym. Um, and there's a lot of uh, double crosses and double agents and everybody's fucking over everybody and it's because they're all bitches. Hence, and then they, they hit each other. Hence, it's called Bitch Slap. Yeah, well, the title makes a lot of sense, then. Although, it, just just to throw this in there, I do want to kind of make a movie about, like, two teams of agents who turn out to be double agents, and they're all fighting each other, but then it turns out that half of them are also triple agents, so they don't realize they're all actually on the same side. I think that would work, <laughs> that would work well. <laughs> um, here's the problem with this movie, okay? It's, it's, it's an homage done poorly and it and it and it try, tries to skirt around the fact that it's a bad homage by saying it's a spoof but it doesn't have any real jokes mm. it just has you know this modern day spoofy movie bad performances um and bad dialogue but there's no jokes um which i think is a actually i was listening to extra hot podcast the other day and they brought this up in regard to paul that um, modern day, you know, movies that are aping other movies as a joke, then don't bother to write actual jokes. They just 
ape the other movies and have references to the other movies right. without writing actual jokes. And I totally agree with that. I thought it was a really good point they made. And that's exactly uh, what this movie is. That said, there is a lot of bitch slapping and there's a lot of fake explosions. Um, despite the fact that all the leads are in tight clothes and there's a lot of very uh, loving shots of their lady parts uh, throughout, they none of them, you see none of their actual lady parts. There is one brief pair of naked lady boobs in a strip club sequence, but that's it. It's an hour, it's a 70 minute movie stretched to an hour 45 minutes. Wow. Um, it's way too long. The, like After a while, the bitch slapping, it's like, how many times are we going to bitch slap each other? How many times are we going to reveal that that one's fucking over that one and that one's fucking over that one and then they bitch slap each other again? That's by the trailer. It was it's just way too long. And uh, it just, it, it wasn't enough. Sounds uh, terrible. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. It's no, a failure. A disappointment all so around. So thumbs but... down. Thumbs down from me. Uh, Todd mentioned uh, uh, the Extra Hot Great podcast, um, but it really is a, it's certainly a inspiration for this podcast, and uh, and they do a great job. If you don't listen to it, you're ridiculous. ExtraHotGreat.com. Yeah, and Steve's going to guest on it in, in an episode or yeah. two down the road. That's exciting. Yeah. We're branching out. Yes. Right All right, moving on. That's right. It's time to play Guess That Remake. Whoa. That sounds fun. This is a game where I have a list, and don't look at this. because All right, I won't look. I'm going to go get a beer. All right. Yeah, don't listen to the rules. Uh, Beverage break. (laughs) Don't listen to the rules. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Don't. In a Guess That Remake, I have a list of ten movies that have been remade. You'll be competing against each other. Ah. Um, I will give you a clue from the original movie and a clue from the remake. You must guess the title of the remake. All right? Now, in order to play, in order to guess, you must be the first to make a buzz sound to answer. Like you're pressing a buzzer, but we don't have buzzers, so you have to say buzz. All right. Um, You will get two points for each correct answer, but are deducted one point for a wrong or no answer given if you buzz in before the entire clue is read. So you um, have to hear the whole you can clue. Buzz in, you can buzz in any time. Oh, okay. But if you buzz in before the clue is finished and you answer wrong or can't answer, you lose a point. This is a very complicated uh, uh, Buzzing in early. If anybody buzzes in early, that means nobody hears the rest of the clue. If both contestants are stumped, a hint is given. First one to buzz in gets to answer. So here's an example clue. Here's an example uh, clue. The original was, re- and don't start yelling because, yeah, yeah. you know, just because this is an easy one. We're listening. The original. Buzz! God damn it. <laughs> the original was released in 1984, starring Pat Morita. The remake was released in 2010, starring Jackie Chan. Buzz. Karate Kid. Correct. Uh, and, what, would, what, would, what would we have to say? Karate Kid? The, the Karate Kid, yeah. Okay. Um, the, the, the title of the remake. The title of the, of the remake. Of the new, of the so most, the remake title one. will sometimes be was different. It, than wasn't, the it it could ne- be. wasn't it called the next Karate Kid? No, that was a Hillary Swank. God damn it! <laughs> now, if you had been stumped, the hint would have been sweep the leg. Okay. Mm. All right. So, um, uh, are we totally clear on the rules? Absolutely not. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> let's go. Let's uh, do it anyway. Let's, let's let's do this thing. Yeah. All right. Number one. The original was released in 1976, starring Walter Matthau and Tatum O'Neill. Buzz. Buzz. Taking a poem, one, two, three. Incorrect. Oh, fuck. You're deducted one point. Bad News Bears. That is correct. Oh, goddamn. Unfortunately, there's no points awarded. Oh, oh. 
because I really didn't think these rules out very well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I uh, just but, heard but, 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 you, but you have the moral high ground. Ah, one moral point. <laughs> uh, number two. The original was released in 1982, starring Albert Finney and Carol Burnett. The remake was released in 1999, starring Victor Garber and Kathy Bates. Uh, Buzz. Yes. Annie. Correct. Two oh, points nice. for Steve. Wow. No That's idea. actually really, that was really good. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you guys were just. That was. I was hoping to use a hint. Number three, the original was released in 1974, starring Burt Reynolds. The remake was released in 2005, starring Adam Sandler. Buzz. Todd. The Longest Yard. Correct. Todd now has one point to Steve's two. Yay! What? Well, because you got another point for the wrong answer. Should have listened to the rules. I hate rules. <laughs> <laughs> number number four. The original was released in 1960, directed by Roger Corman. The remake was released in 1986, directed by Frank Oz. By Frank Oz. And do you have an answer? Give a clue. Do you have an answer, or do we need the hint? I need a clue. Here's the hint. Oh, hint, hint, hint. hint. Feed me, Seymour. Buzz, the Little Shop of Horrors. Correct. Damn it. Okay. Uh, number five. The original was released in 1980, starring Irene Cara. Buzz. Fame. Correct. Two points for Steve. Wow, that was good. Well, that was kind of easy, because there was no remake of DC Cab. <laughs> number six. Yes. Number, number six. Yeah, give it time. <laughs> number six. The original was released in 1962, starring Gregory Peck. The remake was released in 1991, starring Nick Nolte. Buzz. Todd? Cape Fear? Correct. Two oh, points for Todd. Nice. It's five to four. It's anybody's game. Number seven. The original was released in 1932, directed by Howard Hawks. The remake was released in 1983, directed by Brian De Palma. Talk. Tick. Talk. Tick. Talk. Tick. Anybody? No answers? Need the hint? Yeah. Here comes the hint. Ready? Mm-hmm. Say hello to my little friend. Buzz! Scarface. Scarface. Two points for Tom. I'm glad I waited for the hint. <laughs> Number eight. You <laughs> the, get two points after the clue? You get two points for, for a correct answer. After the hint, too? Yeah. Oh. So you're only, you're deducted one if you, okay. if you fuck up. Uh, again, I did not think these rules. No, 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 no. Uh, Number eight. The original was released in 1963, starring Jerry Lewis. The remake was released in 1996, starring Eddie Murphy. Buzz. Fuck. Dr. Doolittle? Wrong. Incorrect. Oh, shit! Minus one point. Shit! The correct Fuck. answer the, I was know, I know what The I meant. Nutty Professor. God damn it. Nutty Professor. We were N- looking nutty. for Nutty Professor. I, I, I can't believe I said the wrong All right. Thing. Number nine. <laughs> the original was released in 1964, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. The remake was released in 1998, directed by Andrew Davis. Tiki Tong. Hint? Need a hint? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hint. Hint? Ready for the hint? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Here comes the hint. Death to Gwyneth Paltrow. Anybody? 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 No? No? This one was hard. This one was difficult. All right. No points awarded. The answer was... A perfect murder. Mm, After yeah. Dial M for murder. Oh, okay. That was a that was a hard one. Was it Michael Douglas, right? Mm. Yeah. I'm Number ten. Final 
question mm. or thing or whatever. The original was released in 1972, starring Shelley Winters. The remake was released in 2006, starring Fergie. Buzz. Todd. Poseidon. Poseidon is correct, and that is two points for Todd. So that is five, six, eight, eight to four. Todd takes it. Good job, Todd. Yay! Well done. Well done. I think starring Fergie is <laughs> maybe overstating her role in, in the very... Yeah, that, that was sort of... A, a that, was, that was a... Someone was having a little too much fun. Yeah, that was... Uh, you know, I gotta have fun somehow. Well done. All right, that was... Uh, guess that uh, remake. No, well that was played, fun. Everybody. That was well a good played. game. All right, next up, we have a cold reading. Um, and this... I already... This is not gonna go well. Okay. Um... <laughs> I have a cold reading from... Why do you have to start so negatively? Well, you know, I know what's going to happen. It's a cold reading from Dinner for Schmucks. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Just, uh, I was really curious to look at the screenplay to see if it was as much of a mess as the movie. Yes. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six different writers credited. 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 Not who worked on it. Yeah, just credited. And and they're different names. They're all different names. So um, it makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. Okay. So they we're were gonna... breaking into writers' houses, <laughs> at night, shaking them away. Going, Fix that. Write a page. Just I write a page. Who are you? Get so out of my house. We're gonna be we're gonna be reading. And this is also actually kind of shows what they changed in the movie based on the, the successful French movie written yeah. by how many people? One guy. One. And did, did you mm. see that? By, just out of yeah. curiosity, was it good? Oh, not the original. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, we'll be reading a scene where, uh, uh, Falk, you will be playing, uh, Thurman. Yes. And, uh, Todd, you, that is the, I believe, the Zach Galifianakis role. Right. I'm, uh, I'm Todd, you will be playing Barry, which I believe is the Steve Carell role. Oh, good. And I'll, I'll be playing Tim, who's the Paul Rudd, and, uh, reading stage directions as necessary. Let's do it. All right. Interior. Thurman's cubicle. A day. reading from Dinner with Schmuck. <laughs> remake. Dinner for Schmuck. <laughs> Is everyone in character? Is everyone in character? Interior, Thurman's cubicle day. Close on a packet of creamer being poured into a red bowl. Thurman, wild hair, bloodshot eyes, takes a sip, then spots Barry and Tim approaching. Halt! What intruder dares approach my domain? Barry winks at Tim. It is I, Barry. How goeth it? The realm of Azareth is overrun with orcs. I haven't slept in six nights. He takes a sip of red bull and eyes Tim. Thurman? Meet Tim Whitman? Sir Tim of Whitman, you may approach. Is there anybody else who can help us out with this? His fiance might be sleeping with somebody else tonight. We need to get an address for a non-deductible vacation home. It is a federal offense to divulge tax information not related to IRS business. Yeah, right. Like, you didn't trade me a six-foot party sub for Carmen Electra's home phone number. I tell you, I will have her! Barry cackles. Very well. I will grant you this boon if you defeat me in single combat. Barry grins. Name the challenge. Thurman points to a towering stack of tax returns. The Tower of Pain! The Tower of Pain! They both make exploding flame noises and wave their fingers like flames around the stack of files. This was not in the movie, was it? No, this is this is different from the movie. Yeah. Guys, I'm in sort of a hurry. Uh, hold this. Do not eat it. Thank you. It's a he, Twizzler. He hands Barry a letter opener. <laughs> the ceremonial blade. Barry bows and accepts it. Thurman rifles the stack of tax returns. Strike well, young one. Barry lunges, thrusting the letter opener into the stack. Thurman takes out the selected file and spreads it on his workstation. They peer at it. Greg Zimmer of Downers Grove, Illinois. Your hour of judgment is at hand. He opens the file and the contest begins. Barry's eyes never leave the file, but his fingers fly like lightning on a calculator. Thurman takes one look at the file and closes his eyes like a meditating holy man. Done! He sits back, satisfied. 
Well. Zimmer's hiding $197,000 in an S corporation. Audit the bastard. What's interesting is End like scene. this whole thing was replaced with that stupid mind control stuff. I, I would like I would like to do a reading of uh, Zach Galifianakis getting this draft. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying any of this. <laughs> this is fucking retarded. Six people came up with this. Let's just improv something on, on the day. And scene. I mean, it took, yeah, it took like a busload of people to write this script, and Christ. that's that's, and that's what got. Through. And that's the whole that's the whole thing. That's the whole. It's amazing. Uh, um. You know, it's it's it brings up an interesting thing about improvising in these comedy films. You know, and granted, they they had nothing to work with, but they replaced it also with nothing. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I, it's I mean, I very I've I have I can still remember how bored I was during this sequence of the film. And it wasn't even in there, and you no. were still that bored. But I know I remember the scene where yeah. he he goes to Zach Galifianakis, and that's when he's introduced, and it was just as weird and not funny i mean honestly this also goes to show you that the 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 screenwriting process for big budget feature films particularly comedies um is completely random whoever had the last draft yeah uh, is often it's just that's the scene goes i guarantee that scene and it's not even in the fucking movie that scene was not the best of the however many fucking drafts of this movie yeah no it was just the last one that was just sort of the last one unbelievable all right let's move let's move on I feel violated. Uh, like those kids. <laughs> to the bottom five. <laughs> uh, this is the my bottom five um, worst five remakes ever. Um, nice, nice. And my at least mine. And I had a large list, so this is just sure. my of of the five. Moment. You had to five so, of my Sophie's worst. choice, if you will. Yeah, it's a Sophie's choice of worst five oh, worst if remakes. She got to keep five kids. Yeah. So two thousand eight. Number one is the two thousand eight remake of the Day the Earth Stood Still. With Are these Keanu in order? Reeves. Not really. Okay. Um, uh, Bad movie. Yeah, terrible. Movie. Terrible. Mm. It took everything that was that was brilliant and thought provoking and, and, and fun and replaced it with a giant computer ball. Yeah. <laughs> Two, dinner for schmucks. Uh, the, I think that was just going to be uh, on, on the list no matter what. Three, 2004 Coen Brothers, Lady Killers. The Lady Killers. Wretched. Wretched, wretched remake. And yeah. I love those guys. 2006, of course, The Wicker Man. Not the bees. But it's so bad, it's awesome. I'm not. I. I'm just saying it's a bad remake. It's not a good movie. Neil Abute. Yeah, but the yes. Abute, the Wicker Man. I would argue too that the original, as as you know, held up as it is by horror cultists. Yeah, that's kind of boring. But but that but that but that doesn't make this the no, latest uh, remake a good. Uh, yeah. I just want to say, means. Neil Labute, you may want to start mounting a defense <laughs> and, and for a future trial that may happen <laughs> on this very table. And n- number five, the uh, the granddaddy of uh, most ill-advised remakes, 1998, Gus Van Sant, Psycho. Oh fuck yeah! Terrible. Yes. Ter- and, 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 and 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 almost shot for shot. Yeah. Almost shot for shot. Yeah. He invented shot. the shot for and, shot remake. Yeah. And dis- and and he made. It- How do you do that? Uh, How do you suck the life out of something while making it exactly to, the same? You want to fuck Vince Vaughn, who's <laughs> not yet gained 150 pounds. <laughs> All right. Now let's cleanse our palate. Yes. With a moment of 
positivity. Just a moment. Just a moment. Just yeah, a small moment. moment. And, you know, we've been talking about remakes, reboots, and reimaginings, and complaining about a lot of them, but they, it can be a good thing. And it can, mm. you can get good movies out of it. And you can get a new perspective to a classic story, you know, like a true grit. Um, yeah. or, you, or you can you can revitalize a dead franchise, like I said, with Star Trek. Um, and, you know, so in that spirit, here's a short list of some, uh, what I think are some truly excellent remakes. Right. Uh, 2007, 310 to Yuma. Yeah, I love that movie. And then, and then classics, 1986, Cronenberg, The Fly. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Wonderful. 1978, Philip Kaufman, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, fuck yes. Just great. It's one of my favorite and, movies of And, of course, 1982, John Carpenter, The Thing. Oh, yeah. Which is my favorite movie yeah. of all time, which is a remake. Well, just wait it's, for the wait, remake of that. Wait. Yeah. Well, it's a prequel. Wait. It is a prequel. I can't believe Peter Hyams' Narrow Margin is not on that list. Yeah, yeah well, it's, I ran out of I ran out of space on this virtual page. <laughs> you know, while not necessarily, you can't say that's a good movie. It's hella entertaining. Hackman's that's a true. lot of fun. That's in that true. Movie. Hackman's. Hackman's oh, fun. The, uh, that's the train movie, right? Yeah, that's yeah. The train. I love yeah. That movie. Yeah. All right, that is. Uh, that's that. Is that that? Is that that? That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Big thanks to Adam Blau, who provides all our music and assorted noises. Uh, we're the Film Pigs. I'm Stephen Skelton. I'm Todd Anderson. I'm Stephen Falk. And we will be back with another episode soon. And I know you Film Pigs have been through a lot, but if you could find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter at this fucking table! We will now, uh, so for our Film Pigs fans, uh, we will now be uh, transitioning to watching um, the movie called Super. Super, James Gunn's Super. James Gunn's Super. He made Slither, which is a really good movie. He's a favorite of the Comic-Con set. And uh, so we'll be watching that, and uh, we'll be putting up a, um, a little blog about it um, probably very soon, too. Rock and roll. Goodbye! Really, when, when is Keanu Reeves going to do another good movie? It's been a while, right? Well, Bill and Ted 3 Street uh, Kings. Like... Street Kings was fun. They should combine the Street Kings sequel with the Bill and Ted sequel. Oh, that would be awesome if they became undercover this is, cops. This is just like the pattern when, when Ebert and Siskel were talking to each other. At the end. <laughs> but instead of just going blah, 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 I hate you. We're actually talking. Bye-bye. Until then, Steve Fox, Bank of Lockers is closed.